Welcome to all you Indian and Oklahoma Territory history buffs and the new folk listening in. This is Tall Tales Uncovered. I am Joe Cummings, your guide through this bewildering tale. Please share this podcast and do a rating review on Apple or whatever platform you're using to help spread our great true history tales. We were the Wild West and we need to take the time to celebrate it to keep our history alive. As you remember, I'm a retired funeral director here in Oklahoma checking on tall tale pallbearers used to tell. Pete told us that there was a funeral home in Oklahoma that kept a corpse of a famous outlaw out for viewing for years. Why they even charged to see it. Not only that, but it disappeared to resurface decades later on a hit TV show. None of it would have happened had the outlaw simply robbed the right train, he said. This is indeed a tall tale that makes no sense, does it? I'm so glad we are all relaxing around this big oak table. Jim, would you pour another round of coffee for us all as we get comfortable and journey back to Oklahoma Territory 1880 and the birth of Elmer McCurdy? Elmer was born in Maine sometime around 1880 to Sadie McCurdy The name of his father is unknown, according to writer Dan Anderson. In 1903, he left Maine after learning the plumbing trade and moved west, being a plumber in Cherryville, Kansas, and Webb City, Missouri. He joined the Army in 1907, and on November 7, 1910, was discharged from the Quartermaster Corps to again pick up plumbing. Rose Heichelbeck, states that he learned about explosives while in the Army. In 1905, J.L. Johnson opened an undertaking business and furniture store on Main Street in downtown Pahuska, according to a nice visit with Charmaine at the current Kendrick McCarty and Johnson Funeral Home in Pahuska. 71 years later, in December of 1976, while filming an episode of the hit television show, The Six Million Dollar Man, entitled The Carnival of Spies at the New Pike Amusement Park in Long Beach, California. Chris Haynes, a crew member, was sent to get the mannequin hanging by a noose in the Laugh in the Dark funhouse. As he reached up and grabbed the arm and hand, the arm broke off to reveal human bone. Haynes was shaking hands with a human skeleton. I don't know how many sound stages there were but I'm sure his scream was heard clearly all through the area. Mary, that's that Mary, that's a good question. Pete's Paul Bear did mention being on the right train was part of the mystery of this tall tale. Well, to answer that, I need to return to Elmer McCurdy, who just got out of the army. According to Dan Anderson, just three days after his discharge, Elmer was arrested for possessing burglar tools. It seems he found out he was an illegitimate child which set him off to troublemaking and drinking. The Oklahoma and Indian Territories were the Wild West. The U.S. Attorney General in 1888 said that of 20,000 people living there, 15,000 would be criminals. John Wesley Hardin, the Doolin Gang, the Dalton Gang, Zip Wyatt, just to start, plus lawmen like the Three Guardsmen and Bass Reeves, 
probably the best lawman ever, all were here. However, in regard to Elmer McCurdy, one should think more along the levels of Don Knotts and the Apple Dumpling Gang or the gang that couldn't shoot straight. According to Rose Heichelbeck, he became part of a gang that were to rob banks, and he, with his Army explosive experience, well, he would handle the explosives. Well, with the first bank, Elmer not only blew up the safe, he blew up the bank also, so he had to scrape melted silver coins off what remained of the safe. The next bank, the explosives left the safe untouched, but blew the bank to bits, literally, totally to bits. Of course, after such disasters, this desperate gang didn't quit. Nope. They decided to rob trains. It couldn't get any worse, could it? They stopped a locomotive near Lenapaw, Oklahoma, of the Iron Mountain Railroad carrying $4,000. Elmer and three other men brought the train to a halt. McCurdy put nitroglycerin on the door of the safe. The following explosion blew the express car to smithereens, disintegrated the safe, and blew any money far and wide. The outlaws ended up with $450. On October 4, 1911, the MK&T number 29 train would be in Ocasa, Oklahoma with 400,000 in Osage Indian royalty payment. All the gang had to do is be there and rob it. The gang jumped on the MK&T train on October 4, 1911, looking for a huge payoff. They turned over seat cushions stopped and drank a keg of beer and made the crew open the safe. The safe contained $46 and two bottles of whiskey. They robbed the wrong train. And to add insult to injury, as they got off the wrong train, the correct train with the 400,000 went right on by them and on down the tracks. Posse consisting of Stringer Fenton, his brother Bob, and Dick Wallace, complete with bloodhounds, took off after the outlaws. But you can count on Elmer. Elmer did even do something dumber. He split off by himself and went on foot, drinking the whiskey all the while and, of course, becoming drunk. He ended up in the hayloft of the barn at the Charlie River Ranch near Pahuska after he asked permission to sleep there. In the early morning hours of October 7th, the posse found Elmer and a gunfight started that lasted for an hour. Elmer yelled that he would not be taken alive. And for once in his life, Elmer was correct. He lay dead with a bullet from Stringer going through his right chest and pellets from the shotgun of Wallace, hitting his neck. His body was taken to the J.L. Johnson Funeral Home on Main Street in Bahuska. The sheriff claimed the $2,000 reward 
which was an immense amount of money in those days, but he did not pay any money to the undertakers. So they took the body as payment and embalmed with arsenic to keep the body for the long period it might take to find the family. At that time, it was very common to display the bodies of train robbers and horse thieves. It was said he was dressed in the rough clothes he wore when he was killed. He was propped up in the back room of the funeral home where locals were charged a nickel to see the bandit who would not give up. It was said the nickels were dropped in the corpse's mouth to be later retrieved by the undertaker. According to Dan Anderson, the corpse was on view for five years. On October 5, 1916, two brothers of Elmer, Charles and James Patterson, contacted the funeral home. Their mother was sick and worried with her son dead and no proper burial. They got permission from the Osage County attorney to take the body. On October 7, 1916, Elmer was on his way home to Arkansas City, Kansas for burial. Well, not exactly. As it turns out, the two men were not related in any way to Elmer. James Patterson was the owner of a traveling carnival show. Charles was a salesman for the Lish Oil Company in Arkansas City, Kansas. When James brought his show to town, Charles told James about the outlaw on display in Oklahoma. So they came up with the brother scheme to make the corpse a headliner for the show. McCurdy, or rather his corpse, did his first appearance or stand-up, so to speak, in Woodward for a week before the show went to Texas. He was a hit. He starred along wax replicas of Jesse James, Bill Doolin, and the Daltons. His corpse was with the show for six years until it was purchased by the Lewis Sonny's Museum of Crime. He was then on display for them until 1971 when the show was sold to Ed Learsh. Elmer died at age 39, yet his corpse was in show business for 55 years and still going strong. Ed Learsh had a fun house, The Laugh in the Dark, a wax figure exhibition in Long Beach Pike in California. Elmer's corpse was painted to glow in the dark and was simply called the dummy. Elmer's body would continue the show for five more years until the funhouse closed and was sold to Universal Television Studios. This brings us back to screaming Chris Haynes shaking hands with a human skeleton when he was asked to get the dummy from the funhouse for the $6 million man episode. Elmer's course had been in the funhouse and had been in the show business for 65 years after his death, which was a record of some kind. It had been propped up everywhere, including an amusement park near Mount Rushmore, lying in an open casket in Los Angeles Wax Museum, and was even in a few low-budget films. It had been drilled into, glued, 
mechanized twitch, painted neon orange, glow in the dark, and strung up by a noose. The Los Angeles Medical Examiner was called the terrifying discovery by Chris Haynes. The Deputy Medical Examiner, Dr. Joseph Choi, confirmed the body to be mummified human remains and performed an autopsy on December 9th. He found a gunshot wound entering below the right nipple and traveling downward from left to right. A 32 caliber slug was found lodged in the mummy's pelvic muscle. Tests revealed high levels of arsenic. The search for his identity made national news. According to the Oklahoma Territorial Museum, its director, Fred Oles, became involved with the urging of the Indian Territory of Oklahoma Westerners. Along with LA County Coroner, Dr. Thomas Noguchi, and forensic anthropologist, Dr. Clyde Snow, the mummy was identified as the remains of the outlaw, Elmer McCurdy, and concluded that no criminal act had occurred. Fred Olds took the lead in returning the mummy to Oklahoma for burial. So 97 years after his birth and 66 years after he died, Elmer McCurdy's body received a fine funeral, complete with a black horse-drawn hearse and a white pine casket with a cross on it provided by Gil Lessert Funeral Home in Ponca City, Oklahoma on April 22, 1977. Numerous law enforcement agents and dignitaries were in attendance. His final resting place is at Guthrie, Oklahoma's Summit View Cemetery, Boot Hill section. A thick layer of concrete was poured over him to be sure that he would travel no more. The most amazing thing of all for this totally confused wannabe outlaw, Elmer McCurdy, is that he is buried right next to the actual infamous outlaw, Bill Doolin. Well, that's right, Tom. Good, good comment. What a perfect ending. He was buried next to the real body of the outlaws whose wax replica Elmer stood next to for all those years in the carnival shows. Well, the coffee pot looks empty and the snacks are all gone. Thanks, friends, for letting me unravel a tall tale indeed. I do so appreciate you listening in. Don't forget to share this podcast to keep our history alive. Time for us to amble along. See you next time on Tall Tales Uncovered.